You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome back into another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey alongside George Bremer. And George, we are five games through the regular season so far. I get with 17 games now. There's no perfect quarter mark of the season. But the Colts were, because the Colts were on a short week last week and our pod, midweek pod, was kind of both a, a post-game mortem of the Titans game and a preview for the, for the Broncos, all kind of smushed into one. I figured now that we have a little bit more time to kind of breathe and let last Thursday's game kind of sink in and look ahead, this would be a good time to kind of get a, a quarter season review so far, kind of go position by position group, these things we like, the things we don't like, um, and kind of break down the Colts so far through five games, how they have been. And also, too, talk about what has been an epidemic right now in the NFL, and that is no one knowing how the hell to hit a quarterback. It's been, we've seen it on Sunday. We've seen it on Monday night yet again. It's been something that hasn't impacted the Colts, thankfully so far, because I think everyone will be losing their minds more than they already are. But that's something we'll dive into as well here. So let me start by asking you this, George. Through five games, obviously the Colts are 2-2-1 two, two, and one right now. Without saying who they beat, without saying how they've even looked so far, if I just told you right now before the season started, through five games, the Colts will be 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. Would you take that or would you be disappointed? Uh, probably just slightly disappointed. I think you, when we were talking, you know, in, in the summer, you were wanting to be three and two. So you're right in that, that general vicinity. Um, obviously everyone want to be five and oh, I mean, that's, that's where, you know, everybody wants to be the Eagles that, that, that's yeah. the real goal. Uh, four and one, you know, would have been a really, really, really good start. I feel like two, two and one, not knowing where it's, you know, how it was going to play out. You would live with that. Um, I think the interesting part about it is none of those games are are lined up where you would expect them to be. I mean, the two wins are against the Chiefs and the Broncos. The two losses are, are to the Tex or to the Jaguars and the Titans. And then, you know, a tie with the Texans. I, I don't think you would have in any way picked those games to, to fall on the, to those slots. But I think you would, you know, if you had said, Prior to the Texans game, they'll be two, two, and one after five. I probably would have said I could live with that. I think the frustrating part for me and why I would be disappointed is that at least for going to this year before the season started, me seeing how it played out, I thought our, our hopes were high for this Colts team. Just forget the division, like to actually be a legitimately good team. I know this division; it's tough because you know the the talent right now. We, we've seen a lot of these teams struggle, and historically, the AFC South has never been that strong division that you know a lot of great teams come out of. But I thought going into this year, the Colts had the pieces. Now they had the quarterback you thought going into the year, Matt Ryan, that could take them over the edge and could make them a legitimate second tier, let's say, contender in the AFC. Not on the Bills level, not on the Chiefs level, but maybe in that, you know, middle range where they could be a dangerous team. They win the division, they get a home game, and they kind of, who knows? I really thought this team would be a lot closer to that. And so when you say going into the year 2 2 and 1, I would be disappointed, even considering you have in those first five games, the Chiefs and the Broncos. I was really high on the Broncos going in this year. Obviously, the Chiefs are a great team, and you have three division games in there as well. I was really thinking that this Colts team was going to be different going into this season. We've talked about the importance of getting off to a hot start. I think it would have been disappointing, even if back in August we said, hey, they're 2-2-1 two, two after five, and kind of, even if you want to, you can pick the two wins, which you probably say – Jaguars and Titans, right? If you had to pick the two wins, considering the division where they are. Um, but nonetheless, it's we've seen how they play. The record is is nowhere near. You know, you're happy to be two, two, and one with how they played so far these first five games, which has been mostly pretty pitiful. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing. <laughs> you go through five games and and you don't feel good about any of the games. Even the two wins have been really kind of ugly wins that that the other team had a lot to do with. Uh, yeah, making those true. come about. So I think there's not been a game that you came out of all year where you felt like I feel good about this football team, you know, where you can, you can say this is really working well and moving forward. They can build off of this. There's smaller things. We're going to break this down here in a couple minutes. There's smaller units within the team that I think have had some positive moments and, and, and have given reason to, to be excited moving forward. But 
the team as a whole right now, there, there's nothing they've done that looks sustainable. There's there's no game you can point to and say, if they play like that, they'll be all right. So let's dive, you just mentioned, George, let's dive into because you're home saying right there. Even though for the most part it's been ugly, there are some bright spots so far in this team when you kind of go position by position. So let's kind of do a progress report. I know at least for me that brings back some PTSD back in the day anytime you had parent-teacher conferences because usually that's more bad than good. Uh, but let's just do a little progress report so far in each position group. Give them a little grade so far, how they've been through five games. We'll start with the offense here in the first segment. Quarterback is obviously where we have to start. Matt Ryan, George, what grade through five games would you give the new Colts quarterback? I give him a D. And the only thing that keeps him from being an F is the fourth quarter. I mean, he's been good at, at bringing this team back, whether it's a 17-point comeback in Houston, whether it's you know getting the win in, in Kansas City. Uh, even the field goal drives in the fourth quarter and overtime that you would want more. It'd be nice to, to finish one of those drives in the end zone, but he did what he had to do to win that game. So, you know, tip your cap there. Uh, but the first three quarters, he it's an F. The turnovers are completely unacceptable. No one's going to even, I, I can't imagine anyone arguing that point. 11 fumbles. Uh, I think that's the <laughs> most in the, in, in by any NFL player through the first five weeks since the merger in 1970, they've been lucky to get eight of them back. But even when they recover those fumbles, they're not, they're putting an offense that's already struggling behind, behind the chains. Uh, and then, you know, the seven interceptions, he was just forcing throws in Denver. And I don't think there's much excuse for that. You know, we'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about the receivers, but I think they've been better than expected. Uh, there's no reason to force the ball to Michael Pittman at this point. That's just a bad decision, um, and that's what led to those two picks. They're lucky they survived them, in all honesty. you know, Tip your cap to the defense in that regard. But I feel like for three quarters, Matt Ryan has been awful, and the fourth quarter, he's been pretty good. I'll give him a D as an overall grade. I'll go C minus a bit in the same ballpark. I'll be a little bit nicer because I you everything you just said is 100% right. The one thing I guess I'll, I'll give him a little credit for is that even in different spurts of the game, he's not been horrendous when he has time. Now, we could talk about the offensive line and how much their impact is with the with the fumbles, with the picks. Like you said, Denver especially. There's no excuse for either interception. Unacceptable. But really, you know, you look at the Chiefs game, you look at the Titans game at different areas. He has, when he's had time to set his feet, kind of read a defense, he's not been terrible. He's been efficient. He's, you know, again, not putting up and maybe not as consistent as I would have liked so far. But again, we're also talking about, you know, I can have a C minus, you're giving him a D. It's, it's not like, you know, we're trying to paint a rosy picture, put lipstick on a pig. That's basically what we're doing here to dress, at least what I'm doing, try to dress it up a little bit better, give him credit for maybe a few good drives in the second quarter compared to, you know, what we've seen so far. But you're right, either way, he's been below average or what you would want so far in every game in the first three quarters, his credit in the fourth quarter, like you said, that's really the only reason why it's not an F so far or a D minus um, is just that he has so far rallied this team, even losses has gotten to the point where you could tie the Texans or get to a point where you're within one score against the Titans. You want to come through his credit came through against the chiefs so far, came through against the Broncos. And what was, uh, you could argue one of the worst games maybe of his career ever with how those first three and a half quarters went. So either way, like I said, a massive disappointment for Matt Ryan. Uh, so far for Matt Ryan, definitely nowhere near the level of play we thought. Nowhere near, if you want to say, the adult in the room he was brought in to be as a 15-year veteran who's supposed to make the laps and supposed to bare minimum make good decisions with the football, like you just highlighted, George. Whether it's holding on to it or whether it's making decisions throwing the ball, it's been anything but already the same number of interceptions as Carson Wentz had all of last year. Whew, not what you want for sure. How about running back? I'll go first here because I'll be honest. I don't want this to be a cop-out, but you do see it in progress reports in school. So I'm going to try to mirror that. I'm going to say incomplete. I'm going to say incomplete because I think there's two factors that make it tough to grade. Number one, the offensive line. Like Clearly, Jonathan Taylor, I don't think, has just all of a sudden forgot how to read a defense and read a hole and know where to go or has lost speed or power. He's still a great running back that has not had many opportunities to kind of get his feet going here and get some positive momentum past the line of scrimmage. It feels like so many times... He's fighting just to get two yards. It's like, wow, that's an impressive two-yard run. It feels almost like a give-up at this point to run the ball with how bad the offensive line has been at run blocking. So that's tough to evaluate, number one. And number two, I thought both him and Naeem Himes would be more uh, of a focal point in the passing game, especially coming into the year with the question marks around their receivers and tight ends. And I get that's not really their fault per se. I think it's a lot with play calling, even the way Matt Ryan's reading the field. I don't think they've gotten enough opportunities 
in the passing game. I think Nyam Hines was going to get that opportunity on Thursday. Obviously, we know we got unfortunately hurt and uh, missed really the rest of the game after the first drive. But that's an area where I really thought Hines especially would be used um, a lot more in the slot, getting balls out of the backfield. We've seen them both in the field, I think, more already this year than we saw last year. I just don't feel like they're getting used enough. So also incomplete just because I feel like it's so tough to grade them when the offensive line's been so bad. And the one area maybe they could get, you know, a little burst in the passing game, they've not been utilized or not even been targeted for the most part. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it's really hard to kind of grade everybody in the backfield right now because the offensive line is just causing so many issues. Um, I'm still going to give them a grade. I'm going to say a C minus right now. Uh, I don't think Jonathan Taylor trusts what he's seeing in front of him. I just, from what I've seen, I don't blame him. I wouldn't if I was him either, and he's not going to come out and say it. Uh, but from what I've seen, he doesn't seem to be hitting the hole as, as fast as he was a year ago. And I think a lot of that is he doesn't trust it's going to be there. He thinks he's running into a brick wall and he's waiting, trying to find a seam, you know, playing a little bit more like Le'Veon Bell, which isn't necessarily his game, you know, trying to wait back right. there and, and try to find something after the snap. I don't blame him. I think he's been forced into that. Uh, but I think that's where he's at right now. I also think, and this is easy for me to say now because you can't prove it or disprove it. I feel like it would have been a very different game Thursday if he'd been healthy and been able to go. When you see what Philip uh, Lindsay was able to come in and do, and we see what Deion Jackson especially was able to come in and do, I think if Jonathan Taylor's out there, it might have been a big game for him. We know that Denver had struggled stopping the run. They struggled at times in that game as well. I just think it would have been a different football game, and we might feel a little bit differently about the running back situation. But that doesn't matter. We can go back to, you know, if, if Rodrigo Blankenship makes the field goal in overtime, they're tied for first place. There's a lot of ifs. Right. They don't matter. We got to deal with what was there. Uh, I think Hines, I'd like to see some more opportunities for him, but I'm also a little bit disappointed with what he's done with the opportunities he's had. Now, not so much running the ball because no one's outside of Taylor. It's like one going into this week. It was like 1.7 yards per carry. I think for players who were not yeah. Jonathan Taylor, which is telling you a lot about this offensive line. But even in a passing game, I just don't feel like he's making people miss the way that he was, you know, in, in, in some years past. Probably a lot of that's just not getting the ball in stride in the right spot. The things we thought would happen with Matt Ryan, they're not happening. Uh, I think that's an area that could quickly improve. You know, I think Taylor's going to get better he, every year. If you look at his numbers, September's his worst, worst month. He gets better every month of the season. Uh, I don't see any different any reason that's going to be different. He's going to adjust. He knows what's going on. He's going to end up having a big game here at some point. It's going to really help this offense out a lot. And I think Naheem Hines will get more comfortable with what his role is. He needs to be on the field more. I mean, that's part right. of it. He's got to get out there, get in a flow, and, and get those opportunities. We'll see how it plays out. Right now, I'd say C-. minus. I think a lot of what's going on with him, much like with Matt Ryan, isn't all their fault. Uh, but I do think there are opportunities that they could take a little more advantage of than they have to this point. And you're right. Two quick things. No, Naeem Hines, too, even before he got hurt, I think it was the first play, the second play of the game in Denver. The screen pass drops the ball. It's like that. That's also part of it. It's like he's not getting enough opportunities. You're 100% right. But also, too, when you are, you, you got to make the, the easy ones. At least, like I said, catch the ball first, try to get out in space, make a guy miss, and kind of become that electric, you know, player in open field that he has been the last few years where he's so hard to tackle. Also, too, it is a little concerning. You brought up Deion Jackson and the Colts run game outside of Houston in week one. That looked they looked their best with ironically enough without Jonathan Taylor on Thursday night against Denver. Um, it's also concerning that you could argue his performance, 13 carries for 62 yards, was the second best performance of the season so far. Like Jonathan Taylor, obviously, week one against uh Houston was what a buck thirty or something like that. It was great down the stretch. But outside of that, it's been a whole lot of nothing. And we're sitting here talking about, you know, a fourth string running back that had the second best performance of the season so far. Yeah, lots of credit to Deion Jackson for that too. I mean, absolutely, lots of not credit to everybody else for for leading that way. But for him to come in and, and especially late in the game, run the way that he did, he's a big part of that victory. You know, we talked a lot about Grover Stewart, Stephon Gilmore, these guys that made huge plays. I think Deion Jackson was kind of underrated in in, in that game. Uh, but I don't know where he fits in moving forward. You're not going to take a ton of, of reps away from Jonathan Taylor. Uh, to get him out there. But I do think you feel better now. You know, if he gets a series here and a series there, I think he's earned that. And it it's probably a good thing. You want to kind of take some of that wear and tear off of Jonathan Taylor. 100%. I think Deion Jackson's shown he can maybe be that guy. That's a great point. You're right. We've talked about, too, in the, in the preseason, not kind of relying your entire offense on Jonathan Taylor and giving him a blow here and there to make sure you kind of preserve his body for late in the year. 
and, you know, for the next few years as well. It's a great point. Let's stick with the skill positions, George. Wide receiver. You mentioned before they've been better than they get credit for. So far through five games, what grade would you give them? I'm going to give them the best grade on offense. I'm going to give them a B. And I might be a little high here, but I feel like especially the last couple of weeks in particular, Alec Pierce has looked like the real deal. I mean, you know, talking about one individual, he's really coming on. He's been everything that they they hoped that he would be outside of that week one game in Houston. Uh, strong hands, really good 50-50 ball, you know, production. Um, he, he's been that, that, that sideline receiver that they've really been missing the last few years. I think he's had. I think he's gonna continue to move up. I don't think we've seen the best of him by any stretch of imagination. I think Michael Pittman's a beast, and I think the fact that these other guys are starting to come on is really gonna open things up for him. Again, Matt Ryan's gonna have time to make a lot of this happen, so that's gonna have to play into this as well. Uh, but I think Pittman now has has you know with what we've seen from the tight ends and what we've seen from from Pierce and also Paris Campbell. He had a, a sneaky good game against Denver. Uh, you know, that's a guy that, that is starting to come on, starting to get his feet under him and, and, and starting to produce as well. It's going to be harder for defenses now to, you know, if you've got that that number one guy, although Denver ended up moving Sertain over to Pierce at some point in that game. If you've got that number one guy, you can put him on Pittman, but I think it's going to be harder for them now to double him or to really rotate their defense that way because the other guys are making them pay. And I think part of me giving them a B is honestly based on expectations coming into the year. If you look at where we thought this receiver group would be and where it actually is, I think they're the one unit on offense you can say that has outperformed expectations. And they've done it in in, in a tough situation. I mean, Matt Ryan hasn't had a lot of time at all, He's but he's getting rid of the ball more. He's getting the ball more quickly more and more often now. And I think that mm -hmm. also speaks to the receivers winning early in the down, which we were talking about they had to do. Great point. I just think that they have really come on. And even Ashton Doolin has, has had some solid moments. I think for what his role is on this team, he's played it well. And I just, I, to me, it's the most solid group on offense right now. It's definitely the group that has, I think, improved every game, like consistently gotten better. And they have made, like you said, the biggest stride and the most consistent improvement from week one to week five of any position group on the on this Colts team, without a doubt. Like you said, Alec Pierce is really settling in. I'm glad you brought up Harris Campbell. He's not been as explosive as I've hoped for, especially this year. But to your point, his credit, especially in the fourth quarter, he has found ways to get open, especially on third down. He has made a few clutch conversions to keep drives alive. And so far, it's early, I know, through five weeks, he's been on the field, which is nice to see that so far nothing's really limiting him, which obviously, as we know, is a big issue. I'll go B-, minus because also you're right. Like, with this receiver group, they started off slow. Not that that was a huge surprise, per se. We had a lot of questions, and that was kind of the one we we one position on offense, especially we looked at with a lot of question marks, kind of like with a side eye of how good are they going to be and how quickly can they kind of get their footing. Houston was, was tough. We saw Alec Pierce drop, you know, a touchdown pass wide open. It was... You know, a tough debut for him. No one else is really winning their one-on-one -on -one battles, like you mentioned. So we've seen progress. They're getting better, and it's been consistent for sure. So I'll go B minus. We're both in the same group there for the most part because they have definitely gotten better as time gone on. And like you said, Matt Ryan now is starting to look more decisive, starting to look more comfortable, even though he's been under siege. Now you could see the trust starting to build with Matt Ryan and these new guys, and they're starting out to produce for him and make it to big plays when needed for sure. It's great to see, especially Alec Pierce on that last drive uh, of the of regulation in Denver with two huge catches, including saving the game on what could have been and should have been an interception that sealed the, the win for Denver. That's one of those plays where you go back and watch film, and even in the moment, you kind of see right away. It's like, all right, that guy's winning my one-on-one -on -one battle. I'm going to slowly trust him more, give him more opportunities to make plays. How about tight ends? George, let's finish out the, the skill group. This is actually my highest grade, B+. Plus. Blocking-wise, they've not been the best, for sure. Agreed. But I will say, receiver-wise, they have not gotten a lot of opportunities. But the reason why I'm giving them my highest grade is because I feel like all three tight ends, Moelle Cox, Kyle, uh, Kylan Granson, and Jelani Woods, when they have gotten their opportunities, they've come up clutch. Jelani Woods, two huge touchdowns, including the game-winning one against Kansas City. Moelle Cox, two touchdowns against the Titans in the red zone. Now he's become a, a, a target for Matt Ryan to look for. Um... Kylan Granton has, has made some big-ish explosive plays, you know, underneath breaking a tackle, moving and grooving. So they haven't gotten a lot of opportunities whatsoever. I feel like they've not been targeted enough. Personally, that's like, especially on Thursday night, where there's an area that, you know, you kind of see Denver has struggled with. I thought they were going to exploit that a little bit more than they have. 
But with the opportunities they have gotten, very limited, I've liked what I've seen so far from all three. Yeah, I think the tight ends have done a good job in the passing game. I, I'm going to break it down into two separate groups. I give them a B for their for their passing play because I think they've done a really good job. Uh, Mo Alley Cox in particular, I think, has been really good uh, and, and pretty consistent in, in that regard. Uh, Jelani Woods has been a red zone threat. And Granson's been kind of sneaky in the way that Paris Campbell's been sneaky. He makes these yes. plays and you kind of forget about them because they weren't necessarily, you know, at the end of the game or they weren't necessarily touchdowns, but they kept drives alive. He's also been really good on special teams. I don't know how you yes. factor that into this grade, but he's been that's really good, good on special teams as well. So, but I'm going to give him a D for blocking. I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, the offensive line deserves all the hate that it's been getting. It, it deserves every bit of criticism that, that's been leveled its way. But I think one of the guys that this, this team misses the most is Jack Doyle. He used to get out there and, and be a lead blocker on some of these runs, especially the sweeps and things like that. Clear out some of these linebackers, give Jonathan Taylor some room. These line, these tight ends have not been able to do that. I don't know though, how much of that's on them. And how much of that this is a Chris Ballard thing? I mean, you knew what you were losing in 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 Jack Doyle, and you really didn't make a strong effort to go and get that that fullback type of tight end in here. You know, if you're going to ask Kylan Granson to block Jeffrey Simmons as they did against Tennessee, I'm not putting that on Kylan Granson. Right. That's on the coaching staff. That's on the the general manager for for putting him in that position. You know, so it's a it's a bad grade for them. But it's also, I think, on the coaches and in, in on the front office, you know, where is that that hammer tied in? You know, where is that guy? You didn't bring him in, and so you can't really expect this group of guys to do that. Moe's been good at it at times. No one's as good as Jack Doyle was. Moe's been good at it at times. I think Jelani Woods eventually will be. He was asked to do a lot of it in college, and he's obviously a mountain of a man. Uh, so yes. I think he will get there. But look. If Kylan Granson's jo- blocking Jeffrey Simmons, something's not right in your scheme. And that's why like, I can't be too harsh on them blocking was because you're right, George. Like, You knew coming into this year what you had. You had a former basketball player in Moelle Cox who's more used in the passing game. He's a physical beast and should be physically able to block. But again, he's, that's not really been his skill set or what he's been asked to do, especially when Jack Joe's been on the team for you know up until this year and Moelle's uh, entire career. Kylan Grant likes is an undersized tight end that has speed that, you know, is, is a good route runner. And Jelani Woods is a rookie. He's a big body, but also, too, you're, you know, it's tough to ask a rookie to consistently make those kind of blocks and put that responsibility on him when, you know, still trying to kind of get his feet wet. And we didn't really think that he was going to make a big impact this year anyway. You know, there was a, there was a chance he's going to get cut in the preseason before Alec Ogletree got hurt. So it's just kind of like, you look, you're 100% right. You look at the three guys in the tight end room and it's like, it's either, it's on Chris Ballard for sure for not getting that guy, and it's also on Frank Reich and the offense for putting them in that position to where you're trusting a guy to do something that they're not accustomed to doing or they physically just can't do right now. It's it's tough, yeah. you know. You're 100 right. So that brings us, George, to the most maligned, most scrutinized position on the team, offensive line. I think we're in agreement here, so let, let's just count it down and say it together. The grade for the offensive line in three, two, and one is F. 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 We all know that. Only because you I, can't give them a Z. Yeah. I don't know why it only goes to F. Like they really should like make special <laughs> occasions for when something's been so so bad. Like break out an H, break out a Z. You're right. Let's just go all the way down. Maybe create a new letter if you want to. Yeah. How bad it's been, but holy smokes, it has been ugly. It has been. You know what the most disappointing part is George. It's been everyone. It's mm-hmm. one thing if it was Matt Pryor being so bad that uh, they just can't do anything in left tackle. It's another thing if Danny Pinter is so bad that, okay, he just destroys the line. But it's another thing where it's those two guys at times, but it's also Quentin Nelson, your pro guard, who we've seen just get beat one-on-one and, and give Matt Ryan no chance. Ryan Kelly has been pretty much a big disappointment this year the entire season. And Braden Smith as well, again, he's been another disappointment. It's all five. That's a yep. scary part where it's it's – not just the, the you know one or two guys that have been question marks anyway. It's the anchors uh, of the team, and it's the three guys you paid to be a top three, bare minimum, offensive line in the NFL. And right now we're sitting there at the bottom three NFL uh, offensive line. 
Yeah. And I mean, we know the importance of this with Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. They've talked about it. I don't know how many times they put the money into this line because that's what they were expecting. Uh, when this line is good, the Colts are good. I mean, that, when you look at when this team's been really rolling since Frank Reich's been here, it's when the offensive line is doing its job, opening up running lanes, giving that quarterback time. You know, when that's going on, this football team could be really good when it's like it is right now. You see this, the results go the other way, uh, and I 100% agree with you. It's it's everybody, which is is really the concerning part. And I think I've seen a lot of noise on Twitter, you know, in the last couple of days with Frank Reich saying that they're still kind of evaluating this. It's still a fluid situation. A lot of people upset with that. I I don't understand where the the anger with that is coming from. If you keep rolling out the same line, how do you expect anything to get better? You know, there. yes, you need continuity. Yes, you need to get five guys playing together. You need to get the best five guys on the field. You need to get that, you know, that teamwork. But they gave up six sacks on Thursday in, in Denver. Um, you know, who who's going to look at that and say, let's just roll that back the way it was. And I get it. It was a short week. I understand all the things that go into that. Denver's a good front seven. It was a short week. It's a tough situation to be in. You had a rookie making his first start at left tackle. But if you see six sacks and, and you just roll the line back, that's negligence to me. I, I don't have any problem with them continuing to switch this up. And, you know, we were talking a little bit off the air. Is Dennis Kelly a potential answer for this team? Is he a guy that could come in maybe? And, 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 and he's played all over the line during his career. So is that right tackle? Is it maybe one of the guard spots? You know, what, what needs to happen? Is he a potential answer? Do you put Will Fries back in there? Uh, and move Braden Smith back out the right tackle. Whatever it is that needs to be done, I think you've seen enough of Matt Pryor, at least in my mind, uh, that, that he probably needs to to be removed from this starting unit right now. Uh, but aside from that, you know, how you want to fix it, figure out a way to go about it. But I don't have any problem with them continuing to tinker with this line. I think they need to. You got to find an answer, and then once it starts to improve, then you can stick with that line and, and let them grow together. And to your point, George, why you're 100% right is really no one is deserved right now the benefit of the doubt or deserved to keep their job just because. I, mean, I would say probably Quentin Nelson, okay, that's the one guy where you're going to roll out there, and I would say, you know what, fine. He's had a few bad games, but that's a guy that you stick at left guard and you're not moving. But the other four guys, like even for Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, whether it's moving positions, whether it's potentially benching them and, and thinking, okay, this other combination of five guys that doesn't include them right now, that's we got to at least give it a shot and see what happens. Or that's what we feel is going to be the best five. Like that's what the Colts have to do at this point. Because like you mentioned, it's five games. The sample size is big enough now where we have seen what's happened so far through the first four. If we exclude the Denver game because that was again a short week. It's kind of uh, a mishmash offensive line there. But they don't deserve the benefit of that. Say, like, oh yeah, they'll figure it out eventually, or or this just give them time. They've had plenty of time. So now whether it is thinking, you know what, maybe Ryan Kelly's better at guard. Maybe it's Danny Pinter's our center and we're going to bench Ryan Kelly. Maybe it's, you know, we're going to slide, kind of keep what we did the, uh, on Thursday night, keep that same five of Raymond, Nelson, Kelly, uh, what was it, Braden Smith, Matt Pryor, one through five. Maybe that's what you try to do for one more week, but you're right. The Colts offense, like, the more tinkering, I think, the better, because at least they're trying something. At least they realize there's a problem and not sitting back and being passive. You're five games in. You played like crap for most of those five games. You're lucky to be 2-2-1 two, two, and one in the division, which is – you know, uh, still manageable to win, you can't just sit back and say, ah, well, we'll see what happens. We'll figure it out eventually. Uh, time is tick. Time is ticking, and there's already too much that's gone by to, to kind of have the status quo, like you said, and just be A-OK with the, with the five and hope, and hope basically that things turn around instead of putting change in place and seeing maybe this is our, our, our you know, our five. Like, could you imagine, let's just say that the five they ran out on Thursday night, George, what if that is their best offensive line? What if now they have a week of practice, this week especially? What if now two, three games in, they get comfortable, Bernard Raymond now is, you know, settled in. What if they start to return and everyone kind of clicks back? You'll be saying, thank God they were changing it. Rather than yep. sitting here in week 12, when the season by that point, if they don't change anything, it's probably lost, and saying, ah, oh, if only we made these changes early. Or, ah, oh, if only, you know, we tried this earlier. You know, having things click in week 14 when the season's already over compared to now week five going into week six when you still have a to turn the season around and save it before it gets too late. I'm with you. There, there should be no reason why anyone's freaking out or complaining about tanking with the offensive line because they've been terrible. Yeah. You got to fix terrible. it. 
leaving them alone would literally be the definition of insanity. And I think you've yes. got to find a way to fix it and, and whatever it takes. I, at this point, I'm 100% with you. If it means benching Ryan Kelly, if it means benching Braden Smith, if it means playing them out of position, nothing should be off the table at this point. No. Whatever it takes, because, look, I don't know to what extent it's, it's, it's factoring in the turnovers, but it's definitely a factor. And I don't know to what extent it's factoring in the run game troubles, but it's definitely a major factor. You know, if you improve the offensive line, a lot of the other things that, that are struggling with this offense right now will improve as well. You're 100% right. So really quickly, George, we gave our position group grades. Overall offense through five games, would you say? What, what would that grade be for you? I'm going to go with a D again. I uh, just don't see the production's just not there. You know, the lowest scoring team in the NFL, the objective is to score points. You're not doing it. I'm going to give them a D. And, and again, the only reason it's not an F is because they have, they have come to life a couple times and, and, and gotten back into games uh, late in the fourth quarter. I'll go D minus just to be a little bit different, mm. but you're, we're in the same ballpark. They're, I mean, they're dead last scoring. Uh, there's really, we've talked about some position groups like the receivers that have given you confidence and the Titans when they, in the passing game have given you confidence. And hey, maybe the running game's not as bad as you think, at least the running backs themselves. But I mean, overall, oh, this collective, they've come together. They've just been awful, hard to watch. Like I said, one of the wins was the most disgusting output of, of offense we've ever seen in Denver. There's, like I said, the only reason why it's not an F is because they have two wins. And they're lucky to get one of those wins for with how bad they played an offense for sure. All right, when we do return here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod, the defense, which I'm going to go on a limb here, a little bit more positivity, a little bit better grades so far than what we've seen on the offense. We'll do the defensive grades when the Blue Horseshoe Pod does return. Welcome back in, Colts fans. If you like what you hear, hopefully you do, make sure to subscribe and download the Blue Horseshoe Pod wherever you get your podcasts. So the offense grading was rough, George, rightfully so. This has been a very anemic offense so far. But the defense has shown some bright spots, has come around, especially under Gus Bradley so far, as you sit here through five games. So we go position group by position group here. Defensive line overall, George, what would you give their, their grade so far through five games? It's tough. I think it's going to sound a little low here, and, and I'm probably counting something against them that, that may not be all on them. But I'm going to give them a B plus. Uh, I think they've been dominant in some areas. I think they've been – the Kansas City game was one of the best games I've seen a defensive line play. That was an A-plus all the way. I would like to see a few more sacks, though. And that's why when I say I, I might be grading against them here, I'm not sure how much of that's on them and how much of it's some of the coverage calls they had early in the season that I think weren't allowing them to get any time to get in there. Uh, but I'd like to see the sacks go up. That's really the only I can complain about. They've been dominant against the run. Grover Stewart's been amazing out there uh, outside of the first half against Tennessee, which I have no idea what happened there. Uh, they really haven't let anybody else run the football. Uh, and that's, that's helping this defense out a ton in terms of making opponents one dimensional. They've gotten good pressure. Even when they haven't gotten sacks, they've gotten good pressure on the quarterback uh, for the most part after the first two weeks. I think the first two weeks were terrible in that regard. Uh, but the last three weeks, they've really done a good job of getting in there, making the quarterback hurry a little bit, uh, you know, and, and keeping them in in line. They probably could do a little bit better job as, as forever. I mean, I think as long as I've been around this team, watching this team, at, at not letting quarterbacks kind of slip out at times and, and beat them at their legs. And the last two weeks in particular, uh, Ryan Tannehill, Russell Wilson had a couple runs that you'd really not like to see, you know, see that be better contained. But on the whole, I think defensive lines look really good. Um, I just, again, I give a B plus and, and they get in the a territory. If that sack number comes up a bit, right. And there's so far, they are 12th in the NFL in sacks with 11, which honestly feels even a little bit higher than I would have guessed so far. Cause you're right. It, it does feel like they have gone, especially early in the season times out going anywhere near the quarterback. I'm going B I'm not trying overly negative, but I will say, I'm not going to forget the first start, you know, the first few games of the year, because the first really three quarters against 10, uh, against Houston, excuse me. Davis Mills is back there with no one in his face um, and really getting no pressure whatsoever outside of, I believe the two sacks or, or they got the one sack came from Zaire Franklin, excuse me, on the forced fumble. Otherwise, Quiddy Pay got the EJ. other sack in overtime. Right, excuse me, EJ Speed, you're right. So it's like outside of that one strip sack from the linebacker, there's really no pressure on, on Davis Mills in the first week. And then even in week two in Jacksonville, I mean, Trevor Lawrence really, I don't think he had a grass stain on his jersey all day. That guy was sitting pretty back there. We were joking, you know, early in the week or, or when that pod came out after the game, he could have took a nap back there, no problem at all. Mm -hmm. So that's the only reason why, even though they've gotten better a lot the last two games, and you're right, that Chiefs game especially was by far their best game, and they played great against Russell Wilson in this Denver Broncos defense. You have Grover Stewart right now playing, like arguably the best player so far on this team and most consistent player through five games. He's been absolutely tremendous. DeForest Buckner's playing well, even though he's playing through an injury. 
but he's even more impressive. He had a great game on Thursday night as well. Quiddy Pay, you're starting to see get comfortable. I'd like to see a little bit more from Ngakwe. Now he's starting to come on, you know, the last few games. But the reason why I'll go B here is just the slow start where really the first two games you really wanted more. And like you said, the Colts needed more pressure on Davis Mills and, and, and Trevor Lawrence couldn't get it. But it is nice to see kind of like the receivers, they are progressing where really since week two, they are continuing to improve for the most part. Like I said, outside of that first half against Tennessee, which was abysmal, although they made up for it to their credit in the second half, you allowed only one for a first down. They were, you know, really put the clamps on, but they have gotten better. Like I said, the sack number is already starting to get higher than it was last year. Where I believe they were tied for 25th. So, not getting any pressure at all. It's starting to get a lot better, but I'll go B just because of the slow start to uh, this team uh, for sure. How about linebackers, George? This is a tricky one because we've seen Shaq Leonard for a quarter and a half out of 20 yeah. so far this season. What grade would you give them? You know what? I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them a B as well. Uh, because I think first of all, Zaire Franklin's been a revelation. He's leading the league in tackles. Uh, he's not got the athleticism that, that Okereke and, and Leonard have, but you're seeing his football intelligence. You're seeing his toughness. You're seeing a guy that, that's just going to go make plays. No matter how uh, he has to do it, he's going to get in there. He, he's going to put his nose in there. He's going to bring tacklers down. I think what holds the, the linebackers back, they've been good against the run, clearly. You know, this defense uh, ranks very high up there against the run, and that doesn't happen if your linebackers aren't filling their gaps and, and getting the job done. But I think that they could pick up their pass coverage a little bit. That's where I feel like uh, they that's what's keeping them from that A range for me. Um, you know, there, there's been a little bit. And, and again, these things go hand in hand. I think early on, some of that stuff that was going on with with uh, Lawrence and, and Mills, some of that was on a defensive line. And some of it was, you know, how quickly these receivers are being allowed to be open where you're not getting the linebackers out there. They're not getting you know, into their drops and, and the secondary as well was kind of playing off. They weren't playing as aggressive in coverage. And I think that that all, you know, goes together. But I think if you look at this linebacker group, that's the one thing that they could be more solid at. It's also probably one of the things that Darius Leonard, that Shaquille Leonard brings to this defense. You know, you bring it, you look at things that they're missing the most, which is turnovers. That's the the number one thing, you know, and, mm -hmm. and probably line linebacker pass coverage. It's what he brings. So I think it'll be an A when he, when he's able to get out there with them, if he's able to play at his top level. I think this group, though, when, if you would tell me that they were going to play the majority of five weeks without Shaq uh, and, and it would look like this, they deserve a ton of credit for what they've done, the guys that have been out there, Zaire Franklin in particular. I'm going to grade this one on a curve in part because they're missing their one of their best defensive players for, like we said, outside of one and a half quarters, basically 20 minutes on the field. That's about it. And basically, you know, some backups as well. I'll go A minus in part because like I just think right now with what you're seeing where it is Bobby O'Karake, but it's a lot of Zaire Franklin. EJ Speed has made some plays as well. And outside of really week one against Houston, where I think you can argue that both of the uh the touchdowns, OJ Howard, you could put on the linebackers for a coverage bust. But to their credit, really outside of that, there's nothing that sticks out in my mind blatantly that has really been like, you know, a bust for them either in run in run uh stopping or in, in pass um pass coverage. And I, when you're missing, like I said, such an important player in Shaquille Leonard, who's the heart and soul of this defense, who is a, a playmaker, said, who does force turnovers all the time. I think you are playing with one hand tied behind your back. And I like what I like. I don't think that the, the right now the linebackers are holding the defense back for, from any, uh, you know, any point. Like you said, Zaire Franklin right now is a tackling machine, leading the NFL in tackles. So he's been flying all around the field, you know, filling up holes, uh, making plays. I, I like what I've seen so far. And again, that's also considering that, you know, you're playing with, if you have two, let's say three linebackers, most in the mix, two are backups. I think it's pretty impressive so far. And for what the Colts, you know, considering that how much time Shaquille Leonard has missed, I think he, would you ask for, you'd be pleasantly surprised so far. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think when you grade on a curve, like you said, I definitely give him an A uh, because of, of who's been missing. Right. Uh, but, you know, the fact the thing is, the NFL, like you are what you put out there. So at the end of the day, I think they've been really good. I think it's been a, you could argue that they've been the top unit on, on the defense. But I think what's good about the defense right now is as opposed to the offense, you you make a case for all three levels. We'll get into secondary here in a minute, but you can make a case for all three levels to to have been the best unit so far. Um, you know, they, they've all had their their struggles at times, but I think the linebacker struggles have been lower than the other two the bad games from yeah. the linebackers have not been as costly to this team as as maybe the bad games from the line or the secondary have been 
That's a good point. That's a good point. Finally, George, the defensive backs, the secondary. I will go A- minus as well here because I think, again, the, the reason why it's not an A or even an A-plus is the first two weeks. You know, Trevor Lawrence carved up. But, again, that really the, the first three quarters in Houston where Davis Mills is making some good throws and you have guys getting behind, you know, the, the safeties and getting open. Inexcusable. But, I mean, especially, too, coming off that Monday night game, George, which if you watch a Chiefs-Raiders game and the Chiefs scored 30 points and in the second half they were unstoppable – I mean, you continue to go back to that game. It's like this call secondary for how they were able to hold Patrick Holmes and co to 17 points, keep, you know, do a great job of limiting uh, them getting in the end zone and really, you know, eliminating Travis Kelsey for a large part of the game. It's you just go to appreciate them more and more. Stephon Gilmore really kind of showed, especially in Denver, defensive player of the year guy. He's not lost, you know, lost a step whatsoever. Um, Isaiah Rodgers, I, I like it. I'd like to see a little bit more, you know, him on the field. But that's also a good problem to have when you're deep and you have guys like now even Rodney Thomas coming in for injuries and they're playing just as well. You don't really skip a beat. This has been the deepest position group by far. I think for the most part, the most consistent and the one the Colts need the most to play well. I think they have played well, uh, played the best so far of any of the units. Yeah, I'll go just to be a little bit different. I'll give them a solid A. Uh, they're they're responsible for the two wins. I think you can say the secondary was the leading force in in, in both of those victories, uh, and and so I'll give them some some credit there. Um, I also think they've they've overcome quite a bit. I mean, when you look at the the starting safeties right now, are Rodney McLeod and Rodney Thomas, and neither one of them was expected to be the starter. You know, it, it right. was going to be Nick Cross and and Julian Blackman. Blackman's hurt. Cross has had his struggles. Uh, and they feel a little bit more comfortable with with the veteran in McLeod, and they've been. That's obviously the right choice. McLeod's right. been out there playing really well. Uh, I think Stephon Gilmore has been arguably the 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 MVP of this team through five weeks. It's him or Grover Stewart. I mean, I think those are your yes. those are your contenders in in that regard. No one on the offense, um, that's for sure. No, definitely no one on the <laughs> offense. Um, I that the only. I mean, Chase McLaughlin's probably the the MVP of the offense right now, which is kind of telling you how bad things are over there yeah but i think you know you can argue that not just as a secondary won these two games but you know gilmore had a hand literally in both of those victories he he deflected a pass that was intercepted by mcleod if he doesn't intercept the ball in the end zone against denver in the fourth quarter they don't have a chance to win if he just knocks that down they're not going to go down and score a touchdown with no timeouts and they didn't as it was that was not going to happen they were going to be down six uh, until he intercepts that ball, and then he knocks away the fourth down pass, obviously, uh, and gives him the, the win. I think Isaiah Rogers has really come on and, and helped solidify this defense. As he's gotten more snaps, you've seen the secondary be even better. Uh, much like with the defensive line, I think that there could be a few more takeaways. They're starting to come on. they got two of them against Denver. It's starting to head in the right way, the same as it is with the sacks. That's the one complaint that, that I would have, maybe a few more balls on the ground. At times, but some of that too, just like we were talking about with the tight ends, some of that goes to the coaching staff. I think Bradley's mm-hmm. done a really good job the last three weeks of, yes. of mixing up his coverages and being more aggressive. But early on, they were playing a lot of off coverage and letting these quarterbacks get into rhythm. And I don't know how much of that was on the players. I feel like that's changed the last three weeks. And you've seen the defense really take a step forward as a result of it. And you have Kenny Moore openly complaining. I believe it was after, I think it was after the Jaguars in week two, basically, you know, talking about the scheme and how it's not really working. You're right. Credit to Gus Bradley. If it's, if he changed what he wants to do, if the players now it's more comfortable, a combination of both, but also too, like you said, goes back to, you know, give them even more credit. The secondary, sure. We just mentioned the Colts are 12th in the NFL now uh, in sacks with 11, but it's not like they're getting consistent pressure. And so the quarterback, especially early on in the season are having time to throw and to the secondary's credit, they are sitting back there and holding their coverage for three, four, five seconds, which is tough to do. And they've been not allowing really any big explosive plays for the most part, especially recently when you're playing better offenses like the Chiefs. I guess you can't even call the Broncos a good offense. They're supposed to be a good offense on paper coming to this year. They've been anything but. But no explosive plays there, no explosive plays from the Chiefs for the most part. They've done a good job of keeping everything in front of them, not allowing those over-the-top plays to be converted. If they do, they're good, doing a good job tackling. So they, they've been tremendous. They've been, I think, the best unit on this team so far. And like I said, the depth as well has been absolutely tremendous. They've gotten guys they haven't expected to come in and play well. They've done exactly that. So we both, we gave, I think, the offense a D and a D minus so far through five games. What about the defense? I'm assuming it's going to be a little bit higher through five games overall defense, George. What would you say that this grade's been so far? 
I'm going to give him a B plus, and I'm only keeping him out of the A because of the first two weeks. You know, the first two weeks just were not where they needed to be. A Jacksonville game wasn't for anybody. Offense, defense, special teams, coaches. I don't know, cheerleaders probably had a bad week that week, too, and they were on the road. It was <laughs> absolutely awful that week. So um, I'm, I'm going to give him a B plus. I think that they've done a lot of things right. I think they definitely are moving in the right direction. I think if we do this again at midseason, they may be in that A range if they continue to play at this rate. Uh, I think defense is is really I, I there's not a lot to complain about over here. A few more sacks, a few more takeaways. Uh, that's nitpicking, you know, especially compared to, to the offense. So I, I think defense has has really been solid uh, and they deserve a lot of credit for for the two wins. I'll go B minus because like to the first two games and really the first half against the Titans game. It was tough to watch with Derek Henry just running through without anyone touching him. But you're right, especially the last three weeks. Uh, they've really turned it around. They've been more aggressive. You'd like to say, like I said, a little more, you know, a few more splash plays, a few more sacks, a few more turnovers, but especially really these last, you know, three games outside of one half against the Titans, they have been tremendous. They've really kept these Colts in, in the game. And like I said, they've been the big reason why they beat the Chiefs and a big reason why they beat the Broncos for sure. So I'll go B minus for sure, but that's also a grade that's on the rise because they continue to kind of get better each and every week. When the Blue Horseshoe Pod does return, here's a question, George, I never thought I'd be asking preseason. Has special teams been the best unit on this team? We'll discuss when the Blue Horseshoe Pod does return. George, as we welcome you back into the Blue Horseshoe Pod, here's a question I'm going to ask. I think it's crazy. I thought it would be crazy, you know, in the preseason to ask it, but here we are five games in. Has special teams been the best unit of the three offense, defense, special teams for the Colts so far through five games? It's certainly been the most consistent. I mean, I can't, the only game that really sticks out to me that they were like problematic was Tennessee. Uh, obviously, the missed field go up in Houston, but um, I, I can't really stick a, a lot of things on them. I can't really remember like a really game changing play outside of Houston when they had the roughing the punter. Uh, that was probably the biggest mistake that they've made, but they haven't had a whole lot of you know, oh my gosh, the, the the special teams really put them in a terrible position. I thought against Tennessee, the, the the return games were a little bit too strong for the Titans. They got better field position than they probably should have had uh, as a result of that. But outside of that, I think they've been really solid. Chase McLaughlin's come in, done a really good job kicking, won the game in Denver, obviously. Um, Matt Hawk, I think you were just talking about him a little bit off the air. Um, for a guy who was not on this team until like the last week of training camp, has been everything you could possibly hope for. He's had a couple bad kicks, but um, mm-hmm. I think he's been really solid overall, and, and he's helped flip the, the field position, which is what you're looking for out of that position. Uh, and I think the best thing about special teams is when when you don't notice them that much. You know, If they're not really something that you're talking about after a game, they've probably done their job. They don't have maybe the explosive plays yet this year that they had last year, the blocked kicks, some of those things that, that, that were going on. Uh, but those come later a lot of times. Anyway, given all the new faces that they had, you lost Matt Adams, you lost George Odom. Mm-hmm. There were some really big question marks on on this special teams unit. Um, Colin Granson's really stepped up. We mentioned him earlier in this regard. Zaire Franklin continues to be the captain of this unit. Um, I think it's, I, I would say special teams, I would give them an A- minus so far. Uh, again, outside of Houston when everybody was pretty bad. And outside of Tennessee, which really, uh, I don't know what happened there. Sort of like the run defense. I'm not really sure what happened. That yeah. day. They just didn't have it. Um, other than that, I can't, I'm really struggling to find a time where they hurt the team outside of those two games. Um, that's a great point you make too. It's kind of like referees. Like if you don't notice them, that means they're doing a tremendous job. And you're right. Like we were talking about, you know, the, the return coverage, the kickoff coverage. It's like, Oh boy, like this is kind of looking shaky. They've, you know, basically given up no big returns whatsoever. They've not allowed the field to be flipped on them. Matt Hawk right now, like I said, for, for picking them up after what, for how good uh, Rigoberto Sanchez has been for the Colts and how big of a loss it is considering he's a punter, you know, how it could be he's been one of the most consistent punters in the NFL to lose him. Like I said, so close to the season starting, Maddock is doing everything you could really ask for outside of, I think, one shanked punt. I think it was a Tennessee game where it was like an 11 or, or you know 20-yard punt that didn't do anything to flip the field. He has 11 punts inside the 20-yard line so far, tied for fourth in the NFL. I mean, like, all things considered, that's exactly what you would sign up for. Chase McLaughlin, like I said, since coming in, 7 of 8, uh, since replacing um, Hot Rod after uh, was it week one. Right. And so far, he's, he's been really, you know, done everything he needed. He made all four field goals in Denver, helped win the game. He's been the offensive MVP so far, like you mentioned before, on this offense, which is 
in one way, okay, at least the kicker's not kill, uh, killing you like we've seen in the past, but also at the same time, it's like, oh, jeez, the offense is, is a whole work in progress for sure. I mean, he's done a great job since coming in. Um, and like I said, all throughout, you know, they, they've they've not been the reason why the Colts have lost. They've had no turnovers, you know, no fumbled uh, punts in that aspect for sure. It's been the most consistent outside of really asking for splash plays, which I feel like is kind of a bonus anyway for getting blocked punts and blocked field goals. Um, and they had a blocked field goal in Denver for sure. It's been, I, I'm with you. It's been the most consistent, I think, out of the three grades. Like I said, I like your A- minus grade because out of the three units, they definitely deserve, I think, the highest grade so far. And credit to Bubba Ventrone. Questions coming on in that you mentioned. You mentioned some of the key departures on special teams and some of the injuries the Colts have faced as well. And they have so far, outside again, outside of block punts, have picked up right where they left off from last year. Yeah. I mean, really, that the only play that really, really sticks out is that that roughing the punter in, yes. in Houston, which ended up letting the Texans run out that third quarter. But of all the things that happened in that game, you know, that was just one of them. It wasn't it wasn't the backbreaking thing. It was a huge one because I think it helped the, the Texans hold on and, and tie that game. But outside of that, you know, really, where else are you going to go? Obviously, the missed field goal at the end of that game. I do think that they could have been a little bit tighter in coverage against Tennessee. But again, it wasn't backbreaking. It, it, they weren't giving up points. And, and I think so far, they've been the most solid unit. And I think also when you look at these grades, it's really telling – I think the feeling right now out there is, you know, this this season's a disaster and this team is is heading in the wrong direction. And I think it's really telling as we break stuff down, this is an offensive issue. If the offense would get on board and even get up into the C plus range, this team would look a lot better. You know, if you could just get an offense that was league average and, and wasn't actively holding you back, I think it's pretty clear where where the where the failure right now is with this football team. And that's the overall feeling, George. If you had to like discuss like the overall emotion or use one word to describe the first five games, it's frustrating, or maybe even actually I would change that to maddening because you're understand right. Like you look at this team, at least when it comes to again, division contention. We're not talking about super Bowl contention or being close to the Bills. Right? That, that's far that's that hope and that dream is gone for this year for sure. But when it comes to just making the playoffs and winning the division, you're right. They they don't need dramatic change. Like you said, the, the special teams unit has been really good not getting them. The defense has gotten a lot better, and they are now ascending to be a strength of this team, and they're really starting to lock down some of the most potent offenses like we've seen. It comes back to the offense. Like you mentioned, you don't need an A-plus offense. You don't need an offense that's going to you know match Kansas City score for score and put up 30 points a game. You just need an offense that's not going three and out, you know, a majority of the drives that's not turning the ball over at an alarming rate two times a game on average. And you're not, you know, you don't need an offense that's comes when they get to the red zone, just kind of can't punch it in as long as you just get a, an average offense. Like I said, 15th, 16th in the NFL in points scored, not 32nd. This team is going to win the division. I mean, they're two, two to one. They're a half game out of first place with the worst offense in the NFL through five games. That tells you all you need to know. This team, like I said, they they are right there. It's just can the offense figure it out and get out of their own way? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a story every week. I mean, we started that in Houston. Like, can this offense stop hurting itself? And so far, we're a month into the year, and the answer is no. No, they can't. No. Outside of a few spurts, right? I mean, mm-hmm. a few quarters against Kansas City and like – a quarter and a half against Tennessee, because even the last end of the fourth quarter was, you know, they, they killed themselves. But again, you're right. Like it's, they've, sh- they're close, which is even more maddening because you see some of how these games end. And it's just, they're a lot better so far than what we've seen. They're a lot better than their two, two and one record. And they're a lot better so far than the, the majority of play that we have seen so far through five weeks. So that is our mid, uh, was a quarter, quarter poll of the year grades so far from the Colts. Some positives, especially on offense, as we mentioned, a lot of negatives, but, the negatives are not far away for the Colts to turn around and just make it, you know, uh, turn it around and have this team become more competitive and start to win more games. So that will do for this edition of the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Very excited for our next one, George, as we preview the Colts' nemesis, the Jags. They're coming to town, so there's a chance. This is in Jacksonville. We already write it off. We don't have to even do the preview. The game's over. We'll see you <laughs> Sunday night. But it's they're coming to Indy. There is a chance to beat them. They're coming off of a, a game against the Texans in which they didn't score off a touchdown. They lose 13-6. to six. So that's should be good, you know, 
a good side for the defense, and you hope that they can get a little more pressure on Trevor Lawrence than they uh, had in week number two for sure. So enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with you for the preview pod here on Friday on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast.